Today, I have the privilege of uh, preaching from, the, from God's word as we continue in this Kingdom Culture series. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, and you're going to notice a, a pretty recognizable shift in our conversation today. Because the last few weeks, we've talked about some pretty challenging topics. Paul addresses some really divisive issues in the church. Things like unity, sex, marriage, singleness, divorce, all of these things that were dividing the church and we've learned some really good biblical truths in this conversation, but, but I think that today we need to shift a little bit, and Paul, thankfully, is going to shift a little bit for us, because we need to learn now, okay, how do we put these things, these truths into practice, right? How can we make sure that we are influencing culture rather than being influenced by it? And I think that a, a practical and, and outward-focused message like we're going to hear today, it's important for us. It's actually crucial for us to hear, especially in, in, in the midst of our culture and what we're, we're currently living in. Because the reality is, family, that as the gap widens between worldly culture and kingdom culture, we're going to be tempted to respond in one of a couple of ways. Right? As that gap widens between worldly culture and kingdom culture, one of the ways that we'll be tempted to respond is by seeing the differences that we have with the world as cause for culture wars. Right, where we want to, to burn the bridges between us and the world rather than build them. The other way we might be tempted to respond, though, is actually to see these differences that we have with the world as these insurmountable obstacles. And so we choose out of passivity, not even to engage with the world at all. Well, luckily for us, there's a better way. There's a better way that's actually shown to us in the example in the life of Paul and, and certainly in the life and example of Jesus. And we see in each of their examples that it is possible to engage with and to influence culture. That it is possible to, to be in the world and not of it. That it is possible to pursue those who are far from God, to actually see real life transformation happen. Which begs the question for us is, why aren't we doing it? Right? Why aren't people lining up by the thousands to get into our church buildings? And the reality we all have to come to terms with is that engaging with culture and pursuing those who are far from God is it comes at a cost to us. That's why many of us don't pursue these things. Because living by kingdom culture requires that we lose the very things that the world tells us matters most. Our comforts, our preferences, our rights. And unfortunately, this is where many Jesus followers, we draw the line. Like, we are all in on the life transformation. We are all in on the freedom that can be found in Jesus. Right? We love the, the healing that we can discover in him. We love the relationships we can develop in his church. But the moment we have the opportunity to, to, to give those things, to show those things to somebody else, we just sort of do that, like, slow moonwalk, right? Like, uh, I'm going to back my way out of this situation. It's funny, but, but it's also not, right? Well, today we're going to talk about why that is, why we're so hardwired to sort of just slow moonwalk out of those situations. I'd show you a better moonwalk, but we got a rug up here. I'll show you guys later. It's okay. <laughs> but what I want to help you do is to, to help you align your life with kingdom culture so that you can see others come to, to know and to experience that same grace, that same mercy, that same love, that same freedom that you have found in Jesus. Y'all ready to dive in this morning? Good, let's pray, let's pray. Father, we are so grateful. Lord, we're grateful for your faithfulness in our lives. 
Lord, even just being reminded this morning through our worship set, Lord, that life is hard, but you are faithful. Lord, I ask that you would use your word this morning, this time we have together, to speak to us. Would you give us clear vision? Would you give us clear direction? Lord, as you call us to lose ourselves in order that we might win others for you. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray, and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Well, we are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 this morning, so those of you who have your Bibles or Bible apps, now would be a good time to, to get those out. And before we jump in, I want to just make sure we are all on the same page. As we look at the life and the example of the Apostle Paul, there's a few things you need to know about Paul. So starting with just kind of the basics, right? This is what would be on the, the back of his baseball card or on his LinkedIn or whatever you want to say. Paul was a, uh, he was a Roman citizen, he was educated, and he was a man. Three simple facts, but these three simple facts, these would have placed him in the upper echelon in his society. Then you add to the fact that Paul was actually educated by this uber-famous rabbi by the name of Rabbi Gamaliel. This is like learning computer technology from Bill Gates, right? This is like the Ivy League education if you were a Jew in these days. And so Paul, according to the world, had, had everything, right? This guy was entitled to just about anything that he wanted in his day and age. And even to the early Christian church, right, after, after Paul, uh, he, he was converted, after he came in, in contact with Jesus, the Christian church saw him as, as being just as influential, right? Paul has saved thousands. He has, has planted churches all over Asia Minor. Again, this guy would have been entitled to, to quite a bit, right? If he was around in today's day and age, he'd probably, he'd probably command a pretty handsome speaking fee. This is the kind of guy that Paul was. He was big time. He had the right to demand quite a bit, but instead, he took a different approach. He chose to give up his rights, all these things he could have had, so that others might have the relationship with Jesus they were meant to have. Paul set an example for us by giving up all the things that he could have had, so that others might have the relationship with Jesus that they were meant to have. What I love is that in our focus passage for this morning, he's going to show us both how and why he went about doing this. So take a look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 19 through 23. It says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. So what Paul is saying is that even though there was so much he was entitled to, as a, as a Roman citizen, as a, as a Jew, as a Pharisee, that he was willing to give up all of that so that others might come to know Christ. Even the freedoms that he had in Christ, that he, even that, I'm willing to put it on the table all for the sake of the gospel. Now, I want you to compare that sort of uh, posture with that what we see in today's day and age, in our culture. Right? Because in our culture, we're told that we should and we must prioritize our individual selves. It's all about my rights. Nothing's going to get in the way of my rights. It's my body. It's my time. It's my money. It's my life. I can do. I can spend. I can waste it however I want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. 
Sound familiar? This is the mindset of those who live by worldly culture. But those who embody kingdom culture, they embody the heart of Christ. And actually, they go looking for opportunities to give up their rights so that others might come to know Jesus. Do you all see the difference? Those who live by kingdom culture, they don't do this out of obligation, but out of a deep desire to serve and to save others. Right? Those who live by kingdom culture, they do so with a heart that understands that in God's economy, you actually win by losing. You actually win by losing. So what I'd like to do today is to actually take a closer look at the example that Paul sets. Because I think when we look at his life, we see what it actually takes to win in God's way. Right? What qualities does Paul have that we need to emulate in order to be kingdom carriers out into the world? To carry this kingdom culture out to those who need it most. So remember, I told you this morning was going to be real practical. If you haven't started taking notes yet, I would strongly, strongly encourage you to do that. Because I've got five qualities that I want to cover here this morning. Five qualities that we see in Paul's life that we can also emulate to reach others. The first quality we see is that Paul is humble. Paul is humble. Look again at verse 19. It says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Now, these are very purposeful words for Paul. Because, again, he had the right to so much, but he gave it up. And this posture, it didn't, just, it didn't just contrast with the culture that was surrounding the Corinthian church. It actually contrasted with the culture that was even going on within the church. If you look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, a chapter we didn't really cover in great detail, what you see is that, man, selfishness was alive and well within the Corinthian church. It's not unlike what you would see in, in, in a preschool or in a daycare, right, where everybody's just looking out for, for, for what they want and what they need with little concern over anybody else. The only difference is they weren't arguing over toys or stealing each other's cheeses, right? They were damaging relationships. They're ruining their witness by living lives that look nothing like that of Jesus. And the irony, while we're at it, is the fact that they were actually saying that they were, were fueled by this new freedom that they had in Christ. That, that was fueling them to do these selfish things. And Paul's saying, no, y'all, you have it backwards. Right? This freedom that you've been given isn't a freedom to pursue the things of the flesh. This freedom you've been given has actually been given to you so that you can use it to reach others. That's why he says in Galatians 5.13, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. In other words, Paul saw his freedom to choose as an opportunity to choose, not himself, but to choose others. That's why Paul, if you look at his life, he oriented his entire life around just two things. His ministry in the church and his mission to the world. Look at anything in his life. Paul oriented, made every single decision based off of his ministry to the church or his mission to the world. Anything else, anything else that got in the way of that, he just set aside. His primary purpose was winning others for Christ. And do you know what happens when you take this posture? Well, it leads to a pretty prosperous ministry, right? That's why Paul went and spoke at all the mega churches. That's why he had a book deal and he retired at the age of 45. I'm glad y'all picked up on that sarcasm. I was worried that you wouldn't. So even though Paul made his life about others, it didn't protect him from being misunderstood. It didn't protect him from being mistreated or even from being persecuted. 
In fact, it really only guaranteed those things. But if you look at Paul's life throughout the New Testament, you'll notice he took it all in stride. In fact, he, he finds joy in those things because for Paul, his, his goal as an apostle was never to become someone. His goal was to serve someone. I think so many people get into ministry nowadays to become someone. No, that should never be our goal. Our goal, and I will commit to you and on behalf of our pastoral team, will always be to serve you. The more literal translation of what Paul is saying here, actually, he says he'll be a servant to all. But if you look at the literal Greek, he says that he enslaved himself. A little more, little more dramatic language there. And, and what this would have brought to mind for those in his context is the image of, uh, of a slave who has been set free. So in those days, not everybody was like a slave for life. Sometimes you were uh, indebted to somebody to, 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 to pay off a debt, right? And when you were set free, you had the opportunity, should you choose, to remain a slave in that household, right? To continue serving them out of love. And what they would do is if you made this decision is uh, they had to, to, to make that known to everybody somehow. So they would actually take you and they would take your ear, they would put it up against a post, and they would drive a, a nail through it to pierce your ear, and they'd put an earring on you. And what that earring would do is it would signify you as somebody who you, you maybe were a slave, you were a servant, but now you were now free, but you were choosing to lower yourself in order to serve others. So Paul is painting this picture as being someone who willingly lowered himself to continue serving others. How about you? How might God be asking you to lower yourself to serve others? You may not all walk around with physical earrings, but my prayer is that we would all walk around with maybe those metaphorical earrings, that people would see our lives and say, hey, that person is lowering themselves to serve others. That person has set aside their, their personal goals or their, their preferences, their comforts, their rights, so that others might come to know Jesus. Look around here every Sunday morning, seeing guys that are setting up, seeing folks back serving in kids. It's like they've got that earring. They've lowered themselves to serve others so that people might come to know Jesus. See, the reality is for each of us, we may not be called like Paul to give up everything, but each one of us, family, is going to be called to at least give up something. I promise you, we will be called to give up something in order to reach others for Christ. And to do so requires us to be truly humble. So that's the first trait we see in Paul's life that we need to emulate. The second is that Paul is rooted. So he is humble. He is rooted. Look back at verse 20. Paul says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew. Y'all are saying, wait a minute. I thought one of the facts about Paul is that he was a Jew. Well, you're right. So why does he say this then? Why does Paul need to become a Jew? Well, it's because in Paul's mind, he considered his deepest and his truest identity not to be found in his ethnicity, not to be found in his heritage, but to be found in Christ. So he's not denying these things that make up who he is. He's simply saying, hey, all of these things that make up who I am, they are secondary to who I am in Christ. And we see him all throughout his letters in the New Testament point to these truths about who he is. And since these truths are also true about you as followers of Christ, I just want to quickly go through a few of these so you can put these ahead of, of whatever else you may see as your identity. Paul says that we are new creations 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says that we have died and been raised with Christ. Colossians 3, 3. He says that we are seated with him in the heavenly places. Ephesians 2.6. He 
said that we've been transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son, Colossians 1.13. That we're members of the household of God, Ephesians 2.19. And lastly, Philippians 3.21, that we are citizens of heaven. We see this all throughout Paul's letter, so we can tell here that in verse 20 what he's saying, these aren't just words to Paul. That everything about who he was, even his Jewishness, which would have been incredibly important to him, was secondary at best because of who he was in Christ. And family, our goal, if, we're, if our goal is the same as, as Paul's, if it's to reach others for Christ, then this also must be true of us. Our family, our ethnicity, our race, all of these things that make us who we are, they are secondary at best. So go ahead. You can take pride all you want in where you're from. Just don't put it in front of Jesus. Go ahead and, and, and enjoy all those traditions that you hold and enjoy your family. Embrace all of those things, but don't let them come before Christ. See, because in order to influence culture, family, we must be firmly rooted in who we are in Jesus. We have to be firmly rooted in our identity. Otherwise, we will bend and eventually break to the pressures in the world around us. Winning others for Christ requires us to be humble. Second, it requires us to be rooted. Third, it calls for us to be adaptable. Why don't you listen again to Paul's approach in dealing with the different audiences that he was engaging with. Listen how adaptable he was. He says, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. Verse 21, to those outside the law I became as one outside the law that I might win those outside the law. And then verse 22, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. What Paul is saying here is that you can't influence culture until you infiltrate it. You can't influence culture unless and until you infiltrate it. It's like trying to change the culture of a football team while you're sitting up in the nosebleeds. You can't do it. Right? You've got to get down on the field. You've got to get in the huddle. You've got to get in the game if you really want to influence the culture of a football team. Well, it's the same way when it comes to influencing our world. You can't do it by just staying in a part of this holy huddle. By only staying around the people that, that look and, act and, and talk and act like us. And it's not like this is some new form of ministry that Paul has invented here. Right? It's simply the same type of ministry that Jesus modeled when he came to earth. Right? Jesus came to be like us so that he might save us. He came to, to be like us, to, to live with us so that he might save us. It's incarnational ministry. Paul is simply following that example. He embraces the time and the space and the people that he's been called to, and he looks for ways to adapt himself, to adapt the message of the gospel in order that he might reach others for Christ. So let me tell you what this looked like practically for Paul. Paul obviously was a, was a preacher. He was a missionary. He was a church planner, and he would go all over the place, and he would plant churches. He would reach others for Jesus. But Paul didn't use the same canned message, didn't use the same templated sermon. When he would go to a synagogue, for instance, he would refer quite a bit to the Old Testament, pointing others to Jesus as being their long-awaited Messiah. But then he'd go out in the open marketplace, and he would, he would use quotes from pagan philosophers, people that, that, that they would have heard from, that they would have known in order to earn their trust. Or when he would, would speak outside of these, uh, these, these temples to these Greek gods, he would, he would mention their practices, their traditions, again, in order to earn their trust so that he might be heard. See, Paul understood that the best way to contend for the faith was to contextualize the gospel for others to receive it. 
The best way that we can contend for the faith is to contextualize the gospel for those around us. Again, this isn't some sort of like new strategy that Paul came up with. We see this in Jesus. John chapter 3, Jesus goes to Nicodemus, this, this religious uh, leader. And what does he do? He, he refers to the Old Testament, points back to the word of God to show himself as being the Messiah. But then he goes and he, he pursues the Samaritan woman at the well and he talks about being the living water. Or he goes to his disciples and they're on a boat and what does he talk about? Fishing. All throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus contextualizing the good news so that people can understand and receive it. That's why it's so important that we too remain adaptable to those that God has called us to. Because here's the thing I want you to know, family. Your adaptability is what leads to your credibility. Your adaptability is what leads to your credibility. And when you talk about being a witness, what's the most important thing for a witness? Credibility. That people believe what you say. So your ability to adapt is what's going to lead to you being a credible witness for Christ. That's why Paul gives us some examples here of how he adapted to those around him. Look at each of them just real quickly here. I want you to see the practical steps that Paul took. The first practical step we see him take is to, to remove any stumbling blocks. To the Jews I became as a Jew, he says. These stumbling blocks, these are some of those like culturally important things that, that really don't have an impact on our faith. The way I, I explain this to, to my kids is, and sometimes you go over to, to, to somebody's house and they make a, a meal and you maybe don't like everything that's on your plate. Hey kids, you got to at least try it anyways. Don't let those things become stumbling blocks in your relationship. This is sort of the same thing on a smaller scale of what Paul is talking about here. He was willing to observe these traditions, these rituals that the Jews observed, so long as it didn't contradict with the gospel, in order that they might be willing to hear his message and to receive the good news. In fact, one of the best examples we see of this comes in Acts chapter 16. Paul is, is getting ready to go on a missionary journey, and he invites this young Greek man by the name of Timothy to come with him. Paul knew that they were going to reach these Jews, and, and he knew that Timothy, uh, not being a Jew, was uncircumcised. So Paul actually had Timothy get circumcised so that his uncircumcision wasn't a stumbling block. Y'all, Timothy was a grown man. There was no modern medicine. Some of you are picking up on, on, on the, the, the level of what Paul was asking him to do here. So when Paul implies that we should be willing to do anything short of sin to see others saved, I really don't think there's a whole lot he's leaving out here. I want to be careful not to draw too direct of a connection here, but when it comes to your family, your friends, your, your co-workers, the reality is there are some stumbling blocks that are getting in between you and them and reaching them with the gospel. I don't know what those are. I want to encourage you to, to think on that, to pray on that so that you can remove those stumbling blocks in order to reach them with the gospel. So the first step we see Paul take was to remove the stumbling blocks. The second is to make himself uncomfortable. Paul makes himself uncomfortable because here's the thing. Paul was called to reach some of these Gentiles. And Paul was raised as a Jew. He followed every law down to the letter. So he probably hadn't spent a whole lot of time around these Gentiles. Probably made him pretty uncomfortable to, to observe some of the practices, some of the traditions that, that, that were, were normal for them. But Paul was willing to do it, to engage with them anyways. Because here's the thing that Paul understood. is to be sent on mission for Jesus 
requires us to be like Jesus by pursuing those who are far from Jesus. Let me say that again, because I think in our, in our individualistic sort of society, we sometimes even come to know Jesus and we somehow miss out on this message. That when we are sent on mission for Jesus, we are to look like Jesus by pursuing those who are far from Jesus. And what Paul discovered and what you will discover as well is that that's going to make us pretty uncomfortable. Pursuing those who are far from Jesus will always make us uncomfortable. It'll always take us out of our comfort zone. How do I know that? Well, just look at the life of Jesus. The places Jesus went to weren't exactly in his, his bubble. The people that he was called to, to serve and lay his life down for, these weren't exactly the easy ones to love. And the time he spent in ministry didn't exactly fit into a, a nice and neat nine-to-five schedule. Nevertheless, he was willing to make himself uncomfortable by adapting to the needs of those he was trying to reach. So Paul adapts by removing the stumbling blocks, by making himself uncomfortable. Lastly, he makes the gospel understandable. Again, remember, Paul is like such a smart dude, so talented, so gifted, and yet he was willing to lower himself to be like the weak in order that he might reach the weak. He's willing to simplify his language, to, to simplify his life in order that others might understand and embrace the gospel message. Perfect example, this is what we see back in, in that room every single Sunday. For those of you who serve in kids, you know you're not changing the message of the gospel. You're just simplifying it so that even those who may not have the same level of intelligence, the same level of life experience can come to know and understand and to embrace the gospel. And that's what Paul is willing to do here, to simplify the gospel and to showcase it as well so that everyone has a chance to receive it. You know, there's a, there's a really powerful illustration that I think really captures what it looks like to live an adaptable sort of life. It comes, uh, it's this, this story of this gal named Mary Clark. I'm guessing very few have ever, ever heard of, of Mary Clark, and that's, I think, what makes her story so incredible. See, Mary Clark, she, uh, she grew up in one of the most privileged, one of the most wealthy, one of the most desirable neighborhoods in the entire world, Beverly Hills, California. That's right, the swimming pools and movie stars, right? This, this gal, she had the most comfortable life. And she could have continued living this comfortable life and, and just gone toward the life of, of, of prominence and, of, and of, of prosperity. But Jesus grabbed a hold of her heart. Jesus grabbed a hold of her heart and he placed on her heart this burden for men who were suffering in prison. And this burden he put on her heart, it eventually led uh, to, to her visiting this prison in Tijuana, Mexico. This prison was known as one of the most dangerous in the world. And, and when she went and visited there, she saw these men living in just awful conditions. So Mary, she started serving there on occasion. And, and every time she would come back to her comfortable home in Beverly Hills, she just wrestled with this deep conviction that she felt for these men. In fact, she wrestled with it so much that there came a point where Mary said that, I've just got to do something. So she did the unthinkable. She actually asked for a prison cell. And they gave it to her. Mary spent three decades living in a 10 by 10 cell, ministering to the prisoners there. She took care of them when they were sick. She bandaged their wounds when, 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 they, were, when they were stabbed or when they, when they were suffered from, from, from being beaten by other prisoners. She even cared for, for the bodies of those who had been deceased by preparing them for burial. In other words, y'all, she loved them. She became weak to reach the weak. 
And I love what she said. She was asked once why she would make such sacrifices. And Mary, who had come to be known as the prison angel, she responded by saying this. There is no one so ugly he does not have beauty within him. No one so weak he does not have great strength. And no one so poor he is not endowed with richness. Each person is of invaluable worth. Family, this is what it looks like to win by losing. Mary gave up a a life of comfort for the coldness of a prison cell. She removed all the stumbling blocks. She made herself uncomfortable. And she showcased the gospel. It was Jesus to these prisoners. And listen, I know God may not be calling you to take up residence in a prison cell. But he has placed you in a certain place, in a certain time, around certain people. And I believe he's called you to adapt in order to reach them. So how can you simplify? How can you showcase the gospel for those that God has placed you around? Because one thing I know is this, is that while, while God is bigger than our culture, he can still use our culture and use us to showcase the gospel to those around us. All right, three qualities down. The next two are, are, are quick, I promise you. Y'all still with me? Good. So far, we've talked about the importance of being humble, being rooted, of being adaptable. Next, we must be dependent. I'm not sure if you caught this earlier, but there's one word that has always stood out in this passage to me. Come to the end of verse 23, where Paul says, He has become all things to all people, that by all means he might save what? Some. That's always just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I don't know if it's my achiever personality, but I'm like, why wouldn't you want to save all of them? Right? Didn't Mary Clark go to the prison to save every single one of them? What I've come to realize is that this isn't like a a glass half-empty sort of take for Paul. He's simply acknowledging the fact that not every single person is going to receive the good news. Paul is simply acknowledging that success was never commanded by Jesus, but dependency was. Let me say that again for some of you. Success was never commanded by Jesus. Dependency was. See, I think one of the things that so often keeps us from sharing our faith, from sharing the gospel, is this fear of failure, which is honestly a little bit ironic. You want to know why? Because Jesus didn't even get a perfect score on this one. Just look at the rich young ruler. Look at the Pharisees. Look at all those who Jesus spoke to and called to follow him who instead chose to turn and walk the other way. And yet, I want you to notice this. Jesus, in his prayer to the Father before he goes to the cross, John 17, verse 4, says this, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. He tells his Father, hey, I have accomplished everything. I have been obedient to what you called me to do. But there were still so many who weren't yet saved. There were still so many who turned and walked the other way. What this should tell you, family, is that when it comes to sharing the gospel, when it comes to to reaching others, to sharing your faith, is that you shouldn't take more responsibility than what you've been given. You shouldn't take more responsibility than what you've been given. You also shouldn't take more credit than what you deserve. But the, the point here is that you simply have been called to be obedient, to be dependent on the Holy Spirit, who is the who's the only one who can convict hearts, anyways. Don't fear failure. I love this quote from Mother Teresa. And if she was around when Twitter was big, she would have been crushing it. She says this, I am a little pencil in God's hands. He does the thinking. He does the writing. He does everything. 
And sometimes it's really hard because it is a broken pencil and he has to sharpen it a little more. So the next time you're tempted to withhold your witness, the next time that fear of failure overcomes you, remember that God never commanded you to be successful. What he wants is for you to depend on him and the power of the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, he promised to give you. Don't let your fears or your weaknesses keep you from stepping out in faith. Trust that God will work in those very things to bring others to himself. So to win others for Christ, family, we must be humble, rooted, adaptable, dependent. And lastly, as I invite the band back up, we must be disciplined. Look with me at verses 24 through 27. It says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. What he's saying here, family, is that you have two options. Option number one is to do what we see here in verse 26. Living your life running aimlessly as, as one who's boxing, just beating the air. In other words, to live your life without direction. Family, running aimlessly is, is what happens when you choose to live your life by chasing after contentment. By jumping from relationship to relationship from job to job, from career to career, from city to city, even from church to church. I look around and I see so many Christians who are running aimlessly. They have no idea what that goal is in their life. They have no idea what winning for Christ looks like. They're just going through the motions. They're just going the way of the world. And Paul says that is no way to live your life. Paul says there's a prize for you. If you're willing to humble yourself to do the will of the Lord, there's a prize for you. So he says, don't run aimlessly. Don't chase after contentment. Don't box as one beating the air. What that means is don't work so hard at things that in the end don't matter. Instead, he says, choose option two. Do what it says here in verse 27 and be disciplined. Be disciplined. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a, in a moment or a season of your life where you looked around and wondered, how in the world did I get here? Have you ever had that moment where you looked at your circumstances and wondered, what happened? How did I get here? Sort of like that moment when you, when you go to the beach and, and, and you're in the water and, 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 and just slowly, little by little, you move further and further away from where you started. And all of a sudden you look up and you don't recognize anything around you. I don't know what may have happened in your life. But if that's you, I have a good idea of how you got there. It's simple. You drifted. You neglected the importance of discipline and you drifted. And the reality is, family, drifting at first, it seems kind of nice. Right? It's comfortable. We don't have to work too hard. But the reality that I want you to, to come to terms with this morning is that drifting is only going to lead you in one direction. Drifting will only lead you away from Jesus. 
It'll only lead you further and further from the mission that he has sent you on and further and further from the people that he has called you to. Listen, family, discipline is what will bring you back. Discipline is what keeps you where God wants you and where God needs you. I think the reality is today some of us have drifted. The good news is you can never drift so far that you're out of the reach of God's grace. I believe some of you here this morning need to just simply repent of having drifted from God, having drifted from your ministry here in this church and from your mission out in the world and simply need to recommit to discipline in your life. Would you be willing to recommit to that discipline this morning? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or do anything like that because the fact of the matter is you've got to prove it out there. I want to ask you with every head bowed and, and every eye closed just to spend a minute alone with the Lord. Maybe you're not even aware of the fact that you have drifted this morning. Would you look at your life? Are you humble? Are you rooted in your identity in Christ? Are you adaptable? Are you dependent? Are you disciplined? Would you take a moment just alone with your Savior? Ask him to examine your heart, to show you those ways where, where you need to be more disciplined in your life. Would you commit to doing that?